don't discount the skills that you have from academia. It is all valuable. You'll be surprised how your skills actually serve you. And when you make the leap, the only thing you should be focusing on is marketing and sales and cash flow. Just make money. Don't do anything else. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. I should call it an on-the-road episode. Well, that's not really true. Just the intros are on the road. But yes, I am back. And today we have Dr. Michelle Mazur. You guys are going to love this one. I feel like, well, first of all, she calls herself the communication rebel and her new business venture. Um, you'll hear a lot about it. And it's actually one of, um, I think it's just so original. And I think she's going to go so far with this. She really embodies what it means to like honor everything you've done and been and represent um, with something super simple, a simple framework, a simple message that can really change change the game. And uh, she will definitely detail that. But I love her story. She left academia when she got her teaching gig right away. Um, and she decided to go corporate. Um, and she spent years there, really, and witnessed many people around her you know, she realized her skills that she built in corporate and in academia could better serve her potentially by herself, like as a solo entrepreneur. So you'll hear a lot about her journey and you'll hear about, um, yeah, her new business venture and where she's taking it and what she's learned um, being in business for a few years now. All things like marketing, communication, messaging is what she is all about. So I think you're going to really love this episode and her high energy. She's actually under the weather and you cannot tell at all. So definitely enjoy this episode and share with us your thoughts in the group, Academics Mean Business, the community, and we will see you inside. Enjoy this one. All right. We are here for another episode. Here today is Dr. Mise Michelle. I can't, so funny. I'm like, Michelle, how do you pronounce your last name? And I can't even say Michelle. Michelle. Laser, nope, Mazer. Michelle Mazer is with us today. Yay, welcome. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, I'm excited to have you. Um, I've been, I feel like we've been in each other's circles for a little while. I don't remember when I first saw you, but you're somebody who had the doctor kind of out front, like in their advertising. And I remember being like, huh, there's like another person who can do that with their name like I can. Interesting. <laughs> and then I didn't actually meet you until 90 Day Year when it was in San Diego. And oh, I got yeah. to meet you for like 2.5 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. It was very quick. <laughs> yes, it was super fast. And I was like, I need to have you on the podcast. You're like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, and here we are. Yeah. Just like that. It's magic. I know. I know. Well, magic in like multiple months. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That was also in April, by the way. Yeah. I think. <laughs> so good. So, Michelle, we're going to start with the academic background as we do on Academics Mean Business. So tell us a little bit about what you studied, like, you know, maybe what fascinated you about that topic and, you know, anything you want to touch on with your like educational path and career um, and yeah. just, you know, give us a taste of that. Yeah. I never really intended to be an academic. And mm. when I was prepping for this interview, I remember being a sophomore in college and my roommate taking me to a psychic fair. 
And she said, and, and so I go and, and she's like, the psychic is amazing, Michelle. You have to go talk to her. And I think I went to talk to her about my love life. And she was like, oh, no, 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 sweetie. That's not happening yet. She's like, I see you getting a lot of education. I see you getting your oh, PhD. Interesting. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what? You are like, this woman is out of her mind. I had no <laughs> desire to be in school that long. And at that point in time, I was getting a degree in education with an emphasis in communication. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm going to teach communication to high school students. That was mm-hmm. my career path. And then there were some shakeups at my school and my degree kind of went away in a way. <laughs> Ah, interesting. Uh huh. So I decided I would transfer to the University of Wyoming. And I was super excited because they have a speech and debate team. And mm. communication has always been my passion. I've been a speaker since about, well, the reluctant speaker since high school because <laughs> I was terrible and decided, well, the way to get better at this is to do it competitively, of course. Ah, smart. <laughs> And I was really excited to go back and be on the speech and debate team and mm. compete again. And from that, like my senior year, I was one of the stars of the speech and debate team. And that meant I was hanging around the communication department a lot. Like uh. all the professors knew me. They all talked to me. I was friendly with all of them. And one of the professors who I never had a class with, her name is Dr. Pamela Cobbflesh. She is up at the University of North Dakota. She came up to me one night and she was like, hey, can we chat for a few seconds? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And she she said, Michelle, what are you planning to do after you graduate? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. And she said, have you considered getting your master's degree, like staying here and getting your Mm -hmm. master's degree? Mm -hmm. I would love to work with you. You know, from what I hear, you're super smart. Everyone really enjoys having you around. So maybe consider that. And I'm like, Mm. oh, okay. (laughs) So I ended up taking the GRE and doing terrible Mm -hmm. in the math section. (laughs) So I was admitted provisionally to my master's degree program. And then until I retook it and got straight A's and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the GRE, geez. Oh, yeah. That's a... Oh, gosh, I haven't done any talk about that on this show. But yeah, the GRE. Yeah, that's like the least useful test ever. It's, it's so it makes no sense. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm pretty good at statistics. I suck at geometry. Guess what you need in grad school? <laughs> so I ended up coaching the speech and debate team for my first year. I taught the second year. And at the towards the end of my first year, my advisor, Pamela, was like, you know, you should really consider getting a PhD. And I'm like, man, I never really thought about that before. She's like, no, I think she's like, I really see this as a track for you. And so I ended mm. up going to the University of Oklahoma. I had a fellowship to go there and I got my PhD. And I have to say, Lindsay, I loved graduate school. Mm -hmm. I remember the first day my advisor or who became my advisor, his name's Dan O'Hare. He said, graduate school will be like one of the best times in your life. And at first I was like, no, it won't be. This is going to be hard. But he was so right. You get to have these great conversations. Mm-hmm. You have colleagues that you're all going through the same thing. I mean, it's it's an amazing 
time of growth and camaraderie and conversation, and I loved every minute of it. And I followed the traditional path. I got the tenure track position that you're supposed to get. So I ended up teaching. Right out of school? Yes. So I ended up teaching at the University of Hawaii, Manoa. Wow. Yeah. Fancy. (laughs) That is fancy and tropical. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I mean, I felt lucky because some of my friends were Mm -hmm. like going to the University of Northern Iowa and I was Mm -hmm, going to mm -hmm. Hawaii. So uh, it seemed a little like I got a better deal. And what I found when I got into academia is that it wasn't at all like grad school. There Mm -hmm. wasn't Mm -hmm. that level of camaraderie. There wasn't that collaboration that was happening, those conversations that were happening. There was a Mm. lot of like BS meetings that I had to go to and committees (laughs) I had to be on that I could care less about. Mm. And I was only at 27 when I got my PhD. So Mm -hmm. I was a very, very young PhD. And even like the first day I went to teach, I got to I got to my classroom and I'm setting up first day, right? And one mm-hmm. of the students, and Hawaiian students are lovely. They are so respectful, so nice, so kind. One of the students raised her hand and said, Oh, is the professor not coming today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, no, that's I'm 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 the professor. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my it. gosh, I'm like three years older than some of these people. Mm-hmm, oh. mm-hmm. But you know, academia was just not for me. I mm. loved doing research. Research was really fun. I'm good at research. I'm good at statistics. I'm good at qualitative analysis. I loved teaching. I loved the students. Mm. Some of the students didn't love me because I was one of the tougher teachers. Mm. But I love those two parts, but I didn't love the politics no, mm-hmm. and the infighting and the weirdness and just there was a lot of things that just stressed me out. And plus, mm. living in Hawaii, I was single at the time. And a Polish girl from New York is not the kind of exotic mm. men in Hawaii are looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got to the point where I was like, I spent a semester in London, which was amazing Mm. and lovely. And I'm so glad I got to take students from Hawaii over to London. But when I got back, I was at this point where I either had to go up for tenure and commit to my life in Hawaii, or I had to leave and do something else. Mm -hmm. And so I got back and I decided to leave. And Mm. the, the thing about academia is like, you give a lot of notice. <laughs> they had <Yeah>. like, because <laughs> right. I was already scheduled to teach for the next yep. two semesters. So I'm like, okay, yep. yeah, fine. I'll teach. And then that gives me time to figure out what I want to do. So I finished the academic year there. Mm. And then it was about transitioning. And it was really interesting when I transitioned out of academia, there was not a lot of support. For Mm. like, I did so many Google searches trying to find like, how do you transition from academia into corporate? Because I thought, okay, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll tell you about my corporate little side. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Track, side, I don't know what that was. Detour. (laughs) Detour. (laughs) With 
warning signs flying up. Like, I don't know. do it. <laughs> I know. And yeah, there it was so amazing to me because now there are like so many resources out there that yeah. tell you how to transition from academia into another career or profession. And back mm-hmm. then there wasn't. And so I What year is this? Are we talking? Oh, oh gosh. Um, it probably was 2006. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a little bit early. Do you know who uh, Dr. Chris Humphrey is? The name sounds he, super familiar. Yeah, Jobs on Toast. Mm. I just interviewed him, actually. Um, he, uh, yeah, he actually, he was in the UK. He's, uh, he's British. And he was talking about, I think he said in 2009, he like fell into this. Jobs and Toast is about PhDs getting, um, going on a career path instead of going into academia. And he said he didn't even set out to like fix that, didn't even realize it was a problem, but that was what he happened to take his path. Mm -hmm. And his advisor reached out to him in like 2009 to make him like come back and tell us what, how you did what you did. Cause he started to work, work for like an ed consulting, like online teaching, actually online, um, classroom stuff. And, so anyways, I think that's interesting because the timelines kind of la- like match up where no one was talking about this at all, like not being an academic, like why would you do that? And then Twitter, right, of course, like is more like 2008. And I think academics really took a, a liking to that platform specifically. Mm-hmm. And so that's where he he actually said he didn't start blogging about it until 2012. Like it took him like three years wow. to like get it going. Yeah. But like that timeline's interesting because... Yeah, at that point, we didn't have the communication wasn't there for us to talk to other people about doing something different, like in a different way. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, because I really didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Yeah. I mean, I applied for a few academic jobs back on the mainland and I didn't get any oh, of those. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. well, it was like the first time in my life I'm like, oh, well, where can I move? I'm like, I actually get to choose instead of it being yeah. dictated. And so that's how I ended yeah. up in Seattle. And, mm. you know, during that year, I spent a lot of time, you know, thinking, okay, what are my skills? Like, what skills do I have? Because I believe that these skills, you can use them in the real world. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. we can manage (laughs) classrooms and we can give, we can teach and give presentations. And I had all of these research skills. Mm -hmm. And so when I transitioned, I ended up thinking, okay, I'm a good researcher, so I'll go into market research. And that's what I did for about five or six years, maybe seven. I was because I, I had this inkling in my head that, oh, well, maybe I could start my own business doing something around speaking. And I'm like, oh, oh. you did. Yeah. But it was 2006. I had no idea how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's interesting. Like, where did that thought even come from? Is it any part of your upbringing or anyone you cross paths with that made that feel possible? Or you just are. I always felt like I was going to do something with communication in my own business kind of way. Like it was always something that was like in the back of my mind, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could get paid for doing this, for like helping people write speeches Uh or helping people with their messaging and, you know, helping people get on stage. I'm like, wouldn't that be cool? It'd be cool to have a business around that. But 
there was no like today we have so many resources so many resources yeah nothing. maybe too many <laughs> yeah probably too many but yeah, nothing right. then and mm-hmm. i think that's why i was like okay i'm really great at research i'll go get a job in market research i ended up working for a small boutique firm that re- and luckily living in seattle my first job was for a firm that didn't do anything with microsoft so yeah. nice <laughs> they were doing things with like craft and general mills and what I found was, A, I'm a terrible employee. <laughs> These academics tend to be, I think. Oh, I'm, my gosh. I'm noticing a pattern. Yeah. Like, I don't like people telling me what to do or when to do it. Right. Like, I, That's I, why we became teachers anyways. That's why we became professors. Yes. We make the rules. Yes. <laughs> we make the rules. We make the rules. So. Yeah. And the other problem I had was that the research was so manipulated to find Mm. what the client wanted to find. (laughs) And that was very disheartening because I have a very high integrity bar. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) But, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'll do this. And then one of my friends pulled me aside and he's like, do you really love market research? I'm like, mm, no, not really. It's it's a job. <laughs> because what was happening is I was getting like I was working with like senior leadership at my job with their presentations because they figured out quickly that I was very good at helping people with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so my friend said to me, he's like, Michelle, you have all this great knowledge of communication. He's just like, start a blog, start do something mm. to share it. And that was really how my business started. I was like, all right, I'm that. just going to blog about what I know. We'll see where this goes. <laughs> and like six months later, I got my first client. And I'm like, oh, and I wasn't prepared. Like, I didn't have a business model. I didn't know how much I charged. Like, I'm like, I'm just making it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the rest is history. Awesome. So how long have you been in business then? I have been in business almost seven years and four years full time. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. So you were building it on the side while you were in that like uh, in a corporate position? Yes, 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 yes. It was very much a side hustle at first because I mean, I still didn't really know. I didn't really know what I was doing in my business. (laughs) I didn't know how to build one. Does anyone? I don't know. I know. And there were more Um, like resources and stuff coming up at that point in time. true. I can see that. Yeah. But I was still yep. like, I'm just going to do this cute little blog. And I, mm-hmm. I, it didn't really dawn on me that someone would actually want to pay me to help them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when did you start taking it like seriously? I don't know if that's the right thing. Or when did you, how did you decide to go in full, full time and leave, you know, that what we, what some may consider like a safety net of like having a salary? Yeah. I, I was miserable, Lindsay, like <laughs> my poor long suffering husband, like my job was super stressful because I got a yeah. different job and I was servicing Microsoft, which is, I guess I probably shouldn't say that out loud. Like it's not great. <laughs> like they, mm-hmm. they expect a lot with ridiculous timelines. So, got it. <laughs> and so I was always miserable. I was stressed out. I was getting up at like 6 a.m. every morning <gasps> to like work on the business for like two Uh hours before I would go to work. And then I would try to Mm -hmm. put in like an hour at the end of the day. And then I was spending weekends as well. 
Yeah, and the tipping point was is like I was trying to save money and get the nest egg together, and my well, he was my fiance at the time. My fiance, um, his mom passed away, and this Mm. was very much expected. She was like in her eighties and had been on decline. But that gave us a little bit of a nest egg where I was like, okay, I can actually make Uh, the leap. Like I felt more confident about it. And I'll never forget, um, I had a boss at my last job that I loved. Like he was a really good person. He was a really good guy, a good boss. And he was telling – we had a conversation about what was next in his career And he was telling me excitedly, like, he's going to get this big promotion. It was going to be great. And I would really need to step up into his role. And he's telling me all about Mm. it. And he's like, what do you think? And I said, I think I'm leaving. (laughs) (gasps) And he was like, oh, well, that changes this conversation. (laughs) That's different. Yeah. (laughs) And because I couldn't just like be like, yeah, sure. And know that I still wanted to leave the job at some point in time. So I was like, it's so much better to be transparent. But Mm. yeah, it was always building to like, I want to leave because this is not the lifestyle I want to live. Mm. So what were some of the first moves you made in that in that stage? Like, were you okay, I would like to be booked out? Were you doing one on one work? I think that's also, you know, something I like to chat about on the show a lot as well as like how business changed over the years. I know also I love to talk about like your most recent Mm -hmm. pivot as well, because I've been watching you for a little while. So yeah, just like tell us, you know, what, um, yeah, what has transpired in your business and what different paths did you take um, as you kind of experimented with this whole fun game of running a business? Yeah. So I very well, and I still very much do one-on-one work. I really Mm -hmm. love one-on-one work. So very much it started with one-on-one. Although I did try to like write, do a course like way too soon about like elevator Mm. pitches or something like that. Um, And that was okay, but it was really a distraction from just bringing clients in the door. And I think that's a mistake a lot of us make early on. It's like, well, your number one goal, like the first three years, your full time in your business is just cash flow. (laughs) It's just sales and marketing Mm -hmm. and getting clients. And that is it. And I didn't have that kind of focus. So that was a big mistake, which caused some issues. But (laughs) I survived Mm -hmm. them. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mostly did one-on-one work. I did offer a group program because I thought, oh, mm. that's what you're supposed to do. So I put together this Rebel Speaker Accelerator program. And it was – the program is solid. Like, it's good info. It gets great results. The problem was I hated launching. Mm, like, yes. launching felt terrible. It was so stressful. There's so much uncertainty around it because, Mm -hmm. yeah, you might sell out all of your spots or you might sell three. Yep. yep, And I remember the last time I launched, I had a pretty good system going and I only got three people. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'm going to run this anyway. And I'm like, I do I really want to be doing this to myself? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to just focus on doing the one-on-one work? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'd rather focus on having sales conversations and getting up into people's business and figuring out what their messages and their speeches are versus like doing like huge launches and lots of emails and paid traffic and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. 
So <laughs> all the things. Yeah, all the things. So I kind of went yeah. back from like, okay, I'm going to scale this with group programs and an online course back to like, I'm just going to do one on one because I love it. It pays well. <laughs> and that's the kind of business I want because I value intimacy in mm, my business. Mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. it's one of my most important values. So one on one has let me do that. And now, as you mentioned, I'm pivoting again. It's it's not a huge pivot. No, yeah. It's a very subtle pivot um, to working more with people on their brand messaging, which I call mm-hmm. the three-word rebellion. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that and like where that came from and kind of what it yeah, where yeah, where it came from, like what it what what spawned that. Yes. So at the end of 2017, I wrapped the last episode of the Rebel Speaker podcast. And I've been doing that podcast for about, I don't know, a year and a half. Oh, that's a while. And, yeah, yeah. It was, it's, yeah, it's been around for a while. And I thought to myself, as I finished the last episode, like, what am I going to talk about next year? Because mm. I had been talking about all the different aspects of speaking and the speaking industry and speaking trends and how to write a keynote mm. and how to book a gig and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I realized <laughs> that all of my content could easily be replaced by a quick Google search. Not saying that the content wasn't good. It wasn't solid. It isn't needed because people sure. are still listening to those episodes today. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't fulfilling for me to be talking about Mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I cannot do this podcast in its current form. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I always take a few weeks off at Christmas time, put the podcast on hiatus. And I'm like, all right, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I went back to what my imaginary boyfriend, Simon Sinek, always says. (laughs) I like calling him my imaginary boyfriend. I hope someday I get to meet him and tell him that. (laughs) I'm sure you will. I can see it. (laughs) You you don't say business boyfriend. I've heard people say that before, too. No, I just call him my imaginary boyfriend. (laughs) That works. My husband makes fun of me for that. He's Uh like, who's uh this imaginary boyfriend? And then he Googled him. He's like, oh. We'll link to him. We'll give him a maybe his famous TED talk. Yes, yes. So I went back to the reason why I started this business. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the reason I started this business is because that I believe communication changes the world. I believe that every time you open your mouth, you have the opportunity to change the world for good Mm -hmm. or sometimes Mm -hmm. for ill, but hopefully Mm -hmm. for good. And I realized that I had left that why, like, by the Mm. side of the road, stranded in the mountains somewhere, (laughs) you know, because I was really focusing on like, oh, well, people only buy what will make Ah, them money. Why people buy Mm -hmm. Uh the stories that we get told about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, if it doesn't make them money, they're not going to be interested. I was like, okay. So I'm like, all right. So I'm very clear. Like, I need to go back to this core idea of communication changing the world. And I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? And at the same time, as we both know, there's a lot of political turmoil in the United States. And I was watching all of these social movements, you know, spring up. I was like, oh, there's like Me Too and Time's Up and Mm -hmm. Never Again (laughs) and even Make America Great Again, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I was like, 
Oh, mm-hmm. wow. That's so cool. And I was like, I really love how the name of the movement really encapsulates what they're about. What it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I was having lunch with a friend of mine. She's a book coach. Her name's Jenny Nash. And I was telling her about social movements and how like, oh, look how cool, that how concise their messages are. And I'm like, and you know what? Really successful entrepreneurs and speakers and business owners, they kind of have the same thing. Like Simon Mm -hmm. has start with why. Mel Robbins has the five second rule. Like their message Mm -hmm. can just be encapsulated in a really easy way that's that people can spread. And I'm like, wow, that's a really interesting pattern between the two. That's a that's a great similarity. So then I wondered if I could take some of like social movement theory and yep. ask people questions like because social movements are always moving away from something and moving towards yep. something else. Yep. I'm like, if I have people free write and just like about around those questions, give them like different prompts that get at the question in different ways. I'm wondering if I can find their core message more quickly. Mm. So mm-hmm. I started experimenting on my clients with their blessing. Have fun. <laughs> Yeah. And they're paying you. So that's a great experiment. I know. Right? I know. I was like, hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And they're like, oh, well, that sounds fun because the free writing is yeah. super fun because you just get to rant yeah. and rave and wah. And what I found is that I was really able to find their core message quickly and easily mm. because what I was able to do is I was, this goes back to academia and how I'm using what I learned. <laughs> Now, sure, I was able to actually like look at their writing as data, and I love find it. Patterns were you coding and stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's like coding. Yep. Like it was qualitative yeah. theme analysis. So I found the themes. Yep. I found words that they would say again and again and again and repeat mm. themselves. And mm-hmm. from that, I was like, okay, we can formulate a three-word rebellion. And I knew from looking at social movements and looking at the successful entrepreneurs, I'm like, okay, there's two types of three-word rebellions. There's the rallying cry that starts with a verb, and then there's the naming the agent of uh. change. So we would choose uh. like which path we wanted to go down and play. And for some people, like honestly, some people, their three-word rebellion is like, neon light blinking at me when I'm doing the analysis. And I'm like, this is what these are the three words you want to be known for. Mm. And for other people, it's just through the conversation and the questions that I asked them on the phone that we're able to like, play with those themes. And then it emerges and it was happening Mm. so quickly and easily. And people were so excited, because they're like, Oh, my gosh, this is the message I was looking for. Yeah, just simplify. (laughs) Yeah. So I yep. started, I um, I have a book called The Three Word Rebellion coming out next February. Yes. That's so exciting. We're definitely going to link to that. Yes, 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 yes. So that book will come out next February. And it's an interactive book. It's, you know, for oh, you cool. to like write and journal and do your ranting and your raving. I love it. And really, I'm focusing all of my business on helping people find their three word rebellion because I'm my core passion is helping people who are mission driven, who have that bigger Mm -hmm. why and who want to really step into thought leadership and to be an influencer. Because what I know to be true is that if you don't have that message, or if you're stuck in how to land, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. What are your I, I love I this is awesome. And I also really what I love about this too, is this 
first of all, it takes some time to get to our like our big it like what's the word? Like the impact we want to make on the industry, Mm -hmm. right? So you're in the space of public speaking and there's a lot of people that teach around public speaking, but now you've boiled it down to this like really simple, important part about messaging, right? And, And yes, like from this framework can spawn lots of different products, essentially, depending on how you want to, you know, do it. But what I want to kind of model for the audience, like our listeners, is this like, we also have to like do business for a little while before we're just Mm -hmm. like, it sometimes smacks us beside the head where you're like, oh yeah, you should probably do this. And it's like, and it feels awesome when you've figured that out. It feels really cool. And like, that's actually something that's happened to me this year. Um, It's like, oh, you, it's like this one of like, this is what I've been waiting for in my business where now things start to make sense about my whole you know, background and experience and what I know to be true, all this stuff that you're talking about, right? Like my values, my worldview, it like actually comes to like, at, it's at the intersection of me having done business for a couple of years before I was able to reach this point. And so it's a really cool moment. And I just like want to reflect that back that we got to take some steps and some actions and just keep going, keep trying new things. But when you find the thing, you'll know it. Like, it's just like, Amazing. Oh, I love yeah. it. Because when I found, well, originally, like when I was talking to Jenny about this, she was like, oh, it's like the three mm. word speech. And I was like, ooh, that's close, but oh, not quite I, yeah. right. And I played yeah. with it. And it was like, obviously, my brand's called Communication Rebel, right? So I'm like, oh, what yeah. if it was the three word rebellion? And literally, that encapsulates it more. I know. I was <laughs> right? like, obviously. Oh, yeah. my God. And I was so excited and overwhelmed by it because there was like, mm. it felt like, like this message is choosing me to spread. Yes, I love that. And I slept for a couple of days. I didn't really tell anyone about it at first. Mm. And then I finally, like, I told my husband, like, over beers, and he was like, that's a really good idea. That's really good. Like, yeah, I oh. love that. And, you know, he's not in the, this business world or any of it, but he's like, that makes a lot of sense. Mmm, that's awesome. Is what does he do? He's totally outside, not in your business oh, at he's all. Not in my business at all. I yeah. asked him. I asked him once. I'm like, would you ever want to work in my business? And he goes, No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband said that a year ago, but he's in it now, so you never know. No. They can change. And it's funny because he used to be an entrepreneur. Like he, yeah, oh, really, he owned video stores here in Seattle. Like when video stores were still a thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And now he works in the healthcare industry, like helping basically helping patients get insurance claims paid, which is noble work. Yeah, man, somebody's got to do it. I know. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's really cool. So like, what's your vision for this, where this is headed? Like, where do you see like, so obviously you're writing a book. Is there anything bigger than than all of that? Yeah. So one of the things that happened when I found the three word rebellion, I had been saying in my I've been saying for years that I didn't have a vision for my business. I didn't know really what I want to do. Maybe it's good that I can just like, uh, like, you know, do one more one work. And then when I found the three word rebellion, it became so clear what I wanted to create and Mm. really what I see myself creating. And it's going back to like Simon Sinek and Mel Robbins are two of my biggest influences. Mm. But I really love how Simon Sinek has set up his business. Like, Mm. you know, really, he is the brains behind the business. He's the one writing the books. He's doing some speaking 
speaking, but he has a whole group of speakers at his company that can go out and speak on the on start Spread with the word. leaders yeah. eat last and all of that. Yep. And I was like, I want a business like that where I am mm. the CEO and spokesperson. So yes. I'm going out and speaking, doing the podcast interviews, media interviews. I'm mm-hmm. still I still want to be involved in the work, but I want to cherry pick the projects that yep, yep. I I want to work on. And then I want to have like two or three message strategists who have a similar background because I think having mm. a research background makes it easier to do mm. the analysis for the messaging. And sure. so then they can work with some of the other clients and I can oversee them and mentor them. Yep. So really that's the type of business that I see myself building. And the book is the first step in that. It is. Yeah, for sure. It is the door opener for that. And it, and a like, you know, expert, you know, authority building kind of thing. I love it. And I think um, and what's cool, too, is like this is uh, something everyone needs. Like that's another part of uh, what you're doing is this messaging is pretty, you know, can can impact and help a lot of people even outside of entrepreneurship and um, obviously social movements, right? Mm-hmm. Like this kind of um, idea. So really cool. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I would also love to work on political campaigns. Like I mm. had an, I was a weird kid growing up. Like I loved <laughs> politics at age five. I wanted to be a politician oh, wow. when I grew up. That's um, funny. So I've always been into politics and it's been even like with this past election, like following some elect, you know, some of the messaging for mm-hmm. candidates like Beto O'Rourke. I was like, oh, no packs, just people. What a great three word rebuttal. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, that's an awesome message and incorporates like what he's all about. So I could also see myself working on some of that messaging because what's great about the process is that you have to be unfiltered and not through Mm. a focus group. And I think that's what politics needs to get Ah. back to. Mm, I love that. That's interesting. That is really interesting. Well, I, I can't wait to see what you do in that space. Me too. It feels so weird to even admit that I would like to do that. Mm. Like I have this little visualization I do that I'm on Pod Save America. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking about like politics and messaging. Like that's basically happening. We'll figure that out. Yeah, we'll There's figure somewhere, it out. It can some totally connection. happen. I could totally see it. That would be great. <laughs> Super fun. Um, cool. So I'm wondering if you want to share a little bit about some advice that you have for people on on this path potentially. Um, you know, they're sitting maybe in their office right now listening to this or they're driving to work or from work or grading a stack of papers. And they're like, you know, I'm thinking about starting a business. Yeah. or I've always wanted to do this. Like, what are what are some of the things you maybe wish you knew um, about the first steps or or just general words of wisdom or advice? Yeah, I would say number one, don't discount the skills that you have from academia. Because yeah, that's huge. What's you know, what's really fascinating for me is how I've brought everything into my business right now. Like even my research skills I'm using in my business. So it is all valuable. Do not discount it because you'll be surprised how your skills actually serve you. Number two, I would say 
get a mentor, get a coach, because you you have the opportunity that I didn't have at that time. Mm, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, you get to actually set the firm foundation now before you leave academia, before you take this leap and start a business. And I think having, you know, if I would have had the resources back in 2006, mm. 2007 available to me, I probably wouldn't gone. I wouldn't have done market research. I would have uh, pursued yeah. um, the business sooner. So mm-hmm. get that mentor, get academics. We love learning. Learn all you yeah. can about business. Mm-hmm. And that will really serve you. And when you make the leap, the only thing you should be focusing on is marketing and sales and cash flow. Just Boom. make money. <laughs> Don't do anything else and make money in the easiest way possible, which is typically one-on-one work. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've been talking about this a little bit as it comes to courses where it's like courses are great, uh, but you need a lot of people to be seeing you and watching you because conversion rates, you know, are low. Like it's like this whole conversation and it's like lower priced. And so the problem, it's all about volume at that point. And so if you're really looking to possibly replace an income or you know, take a larger chunk uh, out of, you know, or adding a larger chunk to your income streams, like, you know, one-on-one's the way to do it. It just, it always will be. And, you know, it's not necessarily like, for those of you listening, you know, might not resonate with this word, but there's like something called like high ticket sales. Oh, yes. The premium. <laughs> like they talk yes. about that too. Yeah. So like, yeah, you could get lost in the like, oh, like the first thing I sold was a $25,000 package. And it's like, that's possible. And also, it doesn't have to be that, (laughs) like, feel like that out of reach, at least for, I don't know, for me coming from academia, I think the money thing was like, like the harder thing for me to really break through, like, who Uh am I to be charging this? And like, you know, especially for things that I was doing, which was talking about teaching and learning, I was like, wait, this is just like what I do. Oh, you want to pay me for it? Kind of like you were saying that too. So yeah, um, but yeah, but that is because when you have clients, you can actually like, you're often putting them in a package where it's a couple months. And so you can actually start to project and feel, you know, project the cash flow, like you're saying, paying attention to like what's coming in and making um, decisions based on that. But if you're like every month trying to figure it out, it's really difficult. Yeah. And what I have found with cash flow is after a while, it gets fairly consistent, plus or mm. minus 20%. Like, sure. like you're like, all right, I know even if you have to like, you know, you're doing short term projects or whatever, it's like you can, as long as you're doing your marketing activities and getting your ah. face out there and having pe- sharing your message on a regular basis, people will in definitely, three words, of yeah, course, in three words, <laughs> um, people will find you. And I yeah. think that's, that's the whole thing. It's, it's the trap of like, oh, I just got all of these clients. And now I don't need to do marketing. It's like, no, you just got all of these clients. And now you really need to do some marketing. <laughs> <laughs> right? That, I think it's a word of like, marketing, that's like intimidating, because it means a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, that it, it can make people start to get into the like you're saying, like, focus on these things. Marketing can also mean really complex funnels and it can mean, um, you know, it can mean Facebook Live. It can mean, you know, social media. That's the vehicle for it. So, um, but yeah, you're so right. Like that's the key early stage business because we need that resiliency, I think, to build um, 
and the the confidence that mm-hmm. like obviously money brings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you make your first couple of sales, like it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Like the first time I ever got paid, I way undercharged. It was for a keynote sure. speech <laughs> development. This guy was speaking in front of. First Lady Barbara Bush at her foundation. Yeah, that was my first client. Like that's not a bad bad thing. And I think I charged him like twelve hundred dollars. Nice, (laughs) nice. And I'm like, oh, that was probably way undercharged. But I just didn't know. I was like, that seems like a reasonable amount for the amount of work I'm going to have to do. Yeah, right. Because what's it comparable to? At least for me, it was like. I think that's the hardest part for someone who's you know coming from academia, maybe not at so much corporate, but like coming directly from academia into, into entrepreneurship is I never thought about my hourly wage. Uh You know, we kind of paid attention to it, you know, because of like negotiations and, um, you know, union stuff. And like, I was, I was always thinking about my lecture, you know, my adjuncts, my fellow, you know, faculty and whatever, but like, I'm never sitting there going like this meeting, I'm making $75. Like I've, I've never thought that. And so, cause usually we're doing more than that, right? The yeah. meeting that we are getting paid for, we're also going to three others that technically we're not. Yes. So, um, so we're always overworking, I guess. So I never really did the math, I guess. And then, so coming here, it's like, oh, wow, I could get paid. Cause my brain was always focused on being an adjunct first. I don't know if you did part-time lectureship. It sounds like you didn't, but like, I, you know, a class, because I did that for about two years before I landed my job. The class, one semester, one class, which is 50 some odd hours, was like sometimes $3,000. Yeah. So in my head, I was like, what? I could get paid that in like a couple months, like with and meeting this person maybe once a week. Whoa. And so I just thought it was like the best deal ever. But uh-huh. that was my frame of reference. And so I think. Yeah, going into business and recognizing that it's also just so much more than that. It's your years of experience, the time you're saving them, and all these things start to add up. And you're like, oh, wow, this is really valuable. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like, it But it really, takes some time. Oh, my gosh. It takes so much time yeah. to figure it yeah. out. And owning your own business will get you straight on your money stuff fairly oh, yeah. quickly. <laughs> no, but, well, quickly or like... Then you're going to therapy processing, which in my situation I'm doing. But yeah, it's true. Like it brings to light all that, all that stuff that you've been holding on to growing up. Um, mm-hmm. for sure. For yes. sure. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun, Michelle. Uh, thanks for coming by. Um, well, we obviously have a book launch that we have to pay attention to you doing. Yes. Um, Where are you hanging out and doing kind of some of the fun stuff? Where can people connect with you? Yeah. So if people want the Three Word Rebellion framework, it's freely available at threewordrebellion.com. And you can find out how to work with me and like blogs and my my podcast is now called The Rebel Rising. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes. So much better than The Rebel Speaker. I'm so excited about it. it. (laughs) And that's all at drmichellemazur.com. And I'm on Instagram a whole lot these days at drmichellemazur. So that's a great place to connect with me. I love it. Me too. I'm loving it. I'm like all over Instagram stories. I think it's so fun. Yeah. Instagram is a lot more fun. And I just yeah. feel like Facebook got super toxic. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. I like, yeah, well, maybe it's politics. Maybe it's, I don't know. I think, I think Instagram stories is like, oh, I'm just like, I'm like enjoying these people's lives. And it's like, it's a yes. little unfiltered and like, 
it's happy and like usually that's funny stuff. And so like, why wouldn't I want to feel like I'm hanging out with someone and like watching, you know, where they're traveling or who they're hanging out with or a funny, you know, they're catching a funny scene out publicly. Like, I think it's the best. Yes. I think it's so fun. Me yeah. too. Me too. Um, yeah. When, in an era of like scrolling can make you want to just like pull your eye, like hair out and like stab yourself in the eye. I mean, like sometimes I'll walk away from like being on my phone and being like, I hate everybody or like, <laughs> or I'm the worst and my business sucks. And why am I? Not, why didn't I do that? Like <laughs> it, both of those are nowhere like that anyone wants to live. So no. Instagram doesn't make me feel like that as much. So there yeah, we go. Me neither. <laughs> me neither. I love it. Well, it's been a real pleasure. And so thanks so much for joining me and sharing your story and your message. Um, I just can't wait to see what next year brings for you. Thank you. I'm excited about next year too. And it's so Yay. great that I finally got to connect with you and be on We did it. <laughs> we did it. Cool. Well, thank you for stopping by and uh, I can't wait to have you on again. 